on page 1693, 1693 in the large print and page 757 in the small print. Acts 2, 42 to 47, the fellowship of believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading from this morning is uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. It can be found on page 1891 of the large print Bible and 850 of the small print Bible. So that's 850 in the small print Bible and 1891 in the large print Bible. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. I'll pray. Dear God, as you speak to us from your word this morning, may you help us to understand what you would have us do and how we should live as your church. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is a dad joke to annoy your children with. What did the hopeless romantic baker say to the dough? You're my life's devotion. I need you. <laughs> the passage of the Bible that we are looking at this morning is Acts chapter 2 and from 42 to 47. It speaks to us of four devotions of the first Christians. The baker was devoted to his dough. These people were devoted to four things. 
While Luke, the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, may not be saying we are to live exactly the way the people of the first century church lived, there are some core values here which are good principles for us to work from. We are told, as it says, they they devoted themselves. The word devoted means constant, faithful, steadfast. In other words, they were persistent. And we have all lived long enough to know that if we're ever going to be any good at anything, you can't just have one go and then give up. You've actually got to persevere at it, stick at it. If you want to be able to play a musical instrument, it doesn't come to you immediately. If you want to be good at mathematics or whatever, it takes time. And so it is that they were persistent in regards, they were devoted, constant and faithful in regards to four things that we are going to look at. The first thing we are told is they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There has never been a time when we have so much opportunity to hear God's word. When I grew up, we had one Bible and it was written in 1662 language, these and thous and thereforeths and all sorts of things. And it was really hard to actually understand it. But today we have not only modern versions, but we have sermons on the internet. They're, of course, never as good as Steve's sermons, but you can listen to them if you want to. We have things on our iPad or our our phone. You know, I run around the street and I listen to other people's sermons on my phone as I sort of uh, run around the streets. Others listen to music. You know my musical ability is so great that I just don't have to bother, so I listen to, uh, to sermons. And in our parish, we have Bible studies. We call them growth groups. And if you don't belong to one, maybe you ought to consider joining one. You might say, well, I don't know enough to join a group. But that's the whole point of them. That's why we have them, so that we can actually learn more. And it's only through people persevering in the word of God that we actually grow in our faith. And it also is the way in which others come to a faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Yesterday... Steve and I went to a seminar on how to read the Bible one-on-one with other people and we got a, a resource in regards to John's Gospel and in a couple of weeks' time we'll talk a bit more about it. But it is by the people hearing the word of God that they actually come to a faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. We are told... At the very end of the section, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that is happening around the world. It might not be happening in in our congregation at the present time, but it is happening. And it is because 
people are actually getting the word of God. So the first thing is, we actually more to be make sure that we are devoted some way or another to hearing or reading the word of God. It was encouraging to hear what Peter got out of the scriptures as he read his notes and read the Bible during the week. The second thing we are told is that they were devoted to fellowship. I find it interesting that when somebody retires from their job or public career in the theatre, the arts, politics or sport, they often say, well, it's not what I've achieved or what I've done that has given me the most pleasure. It's what? It's the people that I've met along the way, which, of course, reflects the fact that life is about relationships. Genesis tells us that. You know, God made humans to relate to them, to him, and also to relate to other people. And that needs to be one of our core values. But what actually is fellowship? Well, You can see an example of it in that we are told all the believers were together, well, you can't uh, have fellowship without that, and had everything in common. Now, here we need to look at this from the point of view of the principle that Luke is actually trying to get at. Because otherwise we might sort of think well, should our congregation only have one Victor lawnmower or Briggs and Stratton or whichever one you want to have and we have a roster so that we've only got the one lawnmower and the Robsons mow on Monday and the Laysons mow on Tuesday and, um, you know, and we go on like that? No. What Luke is getting at is that we need to be careful that our possessions don't become the most important thing. You see, it says to us, they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And Luke, in his gospel, constantly makes the point that possessions can actually cause us to to not gain eternal life. Luke is the only writer of the four Gospels who tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He is the only one who tells the parable of the rich fool who built bigger and bigger barns. He is the only one who tells the story that God invites people to a banquet and they say, no, I can't come, I've got to dig up my field or no, I can't come, I've got to look after my cattle. He is the only one who tells this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. More than any other New Testament writer, 
Luke stresses the danger of letting our life consist of things we possess. What we are to learn in regards to Christian fellowship is to draw people's attention to us, first of all, as Christians, that we need to care for one another. We can't be like Linus and Charlie Brown. I love Linus and Charlie Brown, the Peanuts comics. There was one where there is Snoopy up on a mountain and it's snowing and it's freezing, as you can imagine, and he's got a little hat on and there he is, freezing. And all the humans go up the mountain and they stand near him, Snoopy, and one of them says, be of good cheer, and they all walk off and leave him. And so we are to do the exact opposite. We are, as a fellowship of Christians, to be looking out for one another, both locally but also on the broader scheme of things. And if we are aware that there are others in need, we need to be generous. So the second thing, we are committed to the word of God, we are committed to generosity, then we are told to the breaking of bread. Well, I hardly need to tell Christians that they need to eat or that they need to get together because wherever we go, we eat. Christians love to be together. But I want to ask you this. How often do you eat with non-Christians? A young guy I was talking to who is a university student said he was in the cafeteria at the university. And there were these Christian friends and there were some other people that he goes to lectures with and he got what he wanted to eat and he had to decide where would he go, who would he sit with. And he said, to my shame, I went and sat with the Christians. Why? Because it was more comfortable. But you see, if we want others to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, we are to have fellowship together, but also we ought to be thinking, when do we get to be with non-Christians? You see, the passage says to us at the very at, in verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. How can people hear about Jesus if they don't know us and get with us? And we with them. A friend of mine's writing a book at the present time on sports ministry. And he came to interview me and talk about what it was like to be a Christian when you're playing rugby. And he said, I want some answers to some questions. And so we talked about 
various things. Should a halfback feed the second row of the scrum? Should a basketballer purposely foul when the coach says to? With all of those things, what do you do? What does a Christian do when the team goes off to the pub after the game? What I used to do was I would go to the pub with them. And I don't like beer, so I would have a soft drink and I would stay and talk to them until the grog started to talk in them and they made no more sense. And then I'd leave. Now that was my principle of trying to gain favour with the non-Christian so that I could have an influence and talk to them. And I wonder, how many non-Christians are you in touch with? How many of them do you have meals with? Think about it. If you want to influence them for the gospel, you've got to be with them, wherever it might be. So that's the third thing. And then the fourth thing is, lastly, they were devoted to prayer. Recently, I read a a book about a man in which he wrote down all the people that he prayed for. Quietly throughout his life, he wrote names in a book. At the end of his life, when they were sorting through all his possessions, they found 18 books with 2,400 names in it. And the books had two dates, three columns, the person's name, the date in which they started, he started to pray for the person and the date in which the person was converted. And they were all converted. He was devoted to prayer. We need to pray for the conversion of others. One of the things that as a congregation we want to do is introduce prayer triplets. Now, I don't know if you've ever been involved in prayer triplets in the past, but what it is, it's a gathering together of three people, maybe four if you want to have four, but three. Why three? Because if one can't come, there's still two of you. Uh, if two can't come, well, I know, yes, but, you know, if usually two can get together. They'll meet together for a short time only. So you might do it at the end of your growth group. You might do it um, after church or something like that. But are they principally for you to pray for people that you know who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? We're intentionally trying to be evangelistic in regards to praying. Now, some of you may have never prayed out loud because, you see, we do all sorts of things in church and it's often, often the professionals who, are do, who do it, but sometimes, and we might pray, sometimes you are not used to praying out loud. So the prayer triplet can make its own rules. It can make its rule as to when it meets, how long it meets for, and you might have a prayer triplet where you've got someone in it who said, well, I've never prayed out loud, so the other two might pray, and the other one doesn't doesn't pray at all. It's up to each one of us, but we need to be devoted to prayer If we want to see 
people, adding to the kingdom of God, we need to be praying for them. Who knows when they might come. I prayed for one man for 47 years and he, was, he came to a faith and trust in the Lord Jesus about three weeks before he died. He was my groomsman's dad. I prayed and prayed and it took that long. Now, I don't think I've got another 47 years left in me, but you can, keep, you can pray, can't you? So, my friends, think about a prayer triplet. The aim is to gather with three people for a short time and to pray for friends or even foes that you have who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a small cost to do it, isn't it? You might be embarrassed. You might think, oh, I've never done that. But I, whenever I'm forced into a situation like that in regards to standing up for my Christian faith, I often think, what cost did Jesus go to for me? Yeah. He died on the cross. He suffered terrible pain. He was separated from his father. He took the sin of the world on him. So I think if Jesus did that for me, it's small bickies for me to be embarrassed. So, as the romantic boat baker was devoted to kneading his dough, may I encourage you, be devoted to hearing God's word, gathering together, sharing together and praying for the salvation of others. I'll pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. It sometimes jolts us out of our comfort zone. Father, help us to be people of courage. Help us to put into practice the things that you show us from your word that we need to be devoted to. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.